This episode of the Global Franchise Podcast is brought to you by Fit20, a revolutionary 20-minute fitness concept disrupting the industry. For more information about how you can become a part of this exciting network, head over to fit20.com. Welcome to the Global Franchise Podcast, bringing you insightful guides to the key franchising markets around the world. I'm Kieran McClune, editor for Global Franchise Magazine. And I think more broadly, you know, Australian franchising has a really important role to play in the six, 12 months ahead of us in rebuilding the Australian economy because um, I'm talking to people who might have worked in the airline industry or, or tourism for 10, 20 years, have, have trained, have got qualifications in those sectors, are absolutely fantastic with you know systems and processes. But because of the new economy through COVID, we're not going to have the airline industry or the, the tourism industry that we had three years ago. And so they're now looking around them going, well, what will sustain me as a, a vocation and a career option for the next tw- 10, 20 years of my working life? The Australian franchise market has proven to be enticing for major international brands for decades. And even during an ongoing pandemic, large franchisors are flocking to its shores to take advantage of this country's internationally-minded consumers who have an awareness of the franchise business model. In fact, over the past few months alone, big brands like Carl's Jr., Stretch Lab and Baby Ballers have announced plans to penetrate the Aussie market through a variety of master franchising agreements. But Australia is also still experiencing the challenging shockwaves caused by COVID-19. Many regions of the country are going into snap lockdowns mandated by the government, and the Australian business community is struggling to stay afloat. As of mid-July, for example, 40% of the country's population were under strict stay-at-home orders, preventing a return to any kind of normalcy. For this episode of the podcast, we wanted to get a clear picture of what it's like to franchise within Australia at the moment. Who better to join us then than Mary Aldred, CEO of Franchise Council of Australia. Mary has been in the role since 2018 and grew up around family-owned small businesses. She has a true appreciation for how this sector of the market operates, making her the perfect voice to dissect Australian franchising. You know, every country's experience through COVID-19 has been unique and, and somewhat different. And certainly every business sector, every industry sector's experience, even within the same country, indeed in the same state or jurisdiction, has been somewhat unique. Um, so I think in Australia, by and large, we've been very lucky to escape uh, the um, mass number of, of cases and certainly high number of deaths that, that other countries, particularly around Europe and elsewhere, have, have experienced. That, of course, leads into a discussion around how do you balance those health imperatives, particularly prior to a, a vaccine coming on the, the market, with managing you know the economy. And I think within that, you can even unpack a discussion around um, health in preventing uh, people from, from, or as many people as possible from uh, contracting coronavirus with the you know the other health impacts that people experience through severe lockdowns, especially around mental health issues. So all of that has been you know quite quite complex. We do take um, expert medical advice 
in, a, in Australia as we do elsewhere, I'm sure, around the, the world on, on managing these issues. It's been good to see the Australian states and territories work by and large cooperatively with the Australian federal government through the, the national cabinet process. Um, but snap lockdowns have had a, a very severe impact on uh, small businesses across the board. In fact, 51% of our members nominated it as their biggest concern in a, a recent survey. Um, I think within that that small business segment, you know, franchise businesses are particularly resilient. Their their franchisors, the systems that they are a part of, continually invest in innovation, research and development. And so I would like to think, you know, certainly anecdotally that they're a little bit more resilient and, and hardwired to withstand some of these challenges, the non-franchise brands, um, but it has been an incredibly tough time for a lot of businesses. Uh, and the other thing I would add is, you know, that's that's particularly so for industry sectors like hospitality, retail, which are, of course, the first industries to, uh, to be closed down in a snap lockdown. There are other businesses, certainly SCA, member businesses that are franchised um, that have seen some, some growth and development through this as well. So if you're in freight logistics, um, you know, they've, they've really experienced quite a degree of demand. Um, but uh, for our hospitality and retail members, home services, that's been an incredibly tough time. Um, and you'd mentioned there, Mary, support, which, of course, a lot of businesses or franchises specifically will look to from their franchisor. But on a wider scale, um, a lot of people, of course, look towards the government for financial and uh, guidance support, you know, throughout the duration of this pandemic. Um, do you think that the Australian government, by and large, has been adequate in their support of the franchise industry? Um, and do you think that any more could or should be done um, in these hopeful final let's say, weeks and months as we uh, come out the worst of the pandemic? Yeah, we've, we've got a very collaborative relationship with the, the federal government. So very early on, uh, the Australian government set up a, a coronavirus business liaison unit through Treasury and we were able to continue to, uh, to engage with that, feed through, you know, data on sales data, for example, so they could track um, very quickly how different industry sectors were, were faring. And, of course, uh, we had the, the National Cabinet Establishment, uh, including the states and territories. We're on an individual basis, you know, we work closely with, for example, Jala Pulford, the Victorian government small business minister, federally Stuart Robert, the federal small business minister. So we've got really strong and direct lines of communication there. I think the, the federal government did a couple of things very early on, which saved thousands of, of businesses and I actually think saved uh, lives and, and livelihoods with that as well. And two of those things were JobKeeper. So um, that helped, you know, businesses and, and employees uh, stay afloat through that. And, and secondly, uh, because a lot of small businesses are bricks and mortar, they're, they're retail, uh, early on, you know, they, they had absolutely decimated cash flow and were being expected to pay 100% of their commercial leasing or, or rental arrangements. And so um, the, the federal government initiated uh, the National Leasing Code of Conduct, which uh, needed the, um, the support of the states and territories because constitutionally it's a 
state government issue, being able to have clauses in that new code, such as um, deferring rent and, and also, you know, having in principle agreement on things like if, you're, if your income had been decimated by 70%, you could be eligible for a 70% reduction in rent. So I think that saved thousands of, and thousands of businesses from going under. Um, what's happened, though, I think in the, the last couple of months, as we've sort of gone back up again and then and then struggled again in, in recent months with further outbreaks, especially in New South Wales and, and Victoria. Um, for example, JobKeeper finished in March and along with JobKeeper, those protections in the, the commercial leasing code finished. So um, businesses were suddenly in a, a business-as-usual environment. Then, of course, we had the outbreaks and they didn't have the cash flow coming in. So this interview is quite timely because tonight we've actually written to the Prime Minister outlining a, a five-point plan for business survival that we're asking him to take to National Cabinet and that includes, you know, JobKeeper 3.0, so a, a third instalment of, of JobKeeper, um, access to emergency cash payment for debt-trapped small businesses so that they've got funds available to pay, you know, immediate creditors, rent and remain solvent. Uh, for the Australian Tax Office to defer lodgements and outstanding payments for debt-trapped small businesses. Um, for, you know, banks came on board really well last year and provided some, some comfort and some wiggle room for small businesses, but we're asking them again to step up and provide relief. And then fifth, uh, re-establish the, uh, the National Leasing Code of Conduct, which helped so many businesses get through last year. So having this chat with you is, is quite timely in that respect. Yeah, for sure. No, it's really great to hear that, um, you know, there has been that established kind of support network for small businesses. But not only that is that it's a very, uh, very much an ongoing thing, thanks to organisations such as yourself at the FCA. And um, I, I didn't want to kind of give the impression with those first couple of questions that, you know, it's all doom and gloom, because as you know, back in March, uh, there were 520 new franchise units opened in Australia, as reported by um uh, a study at the time and overall optimism, uh, as I think you mentioned, uh, back in March sat at around 85% when looking forward to the the next six months of the year. And of course, that goes up and down um, with lockdowns and things like that. But overall, it seems like it's, you know, it's, it's um, a better time on the horizon. Um, and I was wondering, Mary, in light of these statistics and kind of the current direction of the way things are going in Australia, um, whether you think that franchise businesses now can afford to prioritise growth or whether among your members you're seeing more of the kind of consolidation and uh, prioritising staying afloat as the, the main goal right now? Thanks, Kieran. I think it, it depends on what industry sector they're participating in. So hospitality, traditional, you know, white tablecloth restaurant venues are going through a, an incredibly tough time at the moment. It's not just uh, coronavirus and the um, snap government lockdowns there's also broader challenges around uh, attracting you know the, the skilled workers that they need in that sector um, which for a number of reasons um, you know loss of, of international students in Australia uh, and other things you know is, is proving difficult so hospitality is doing it tough at the moment but there are other sectors home maintenance for example uh, I was talking to a, a brand a system uh, just a couple of days ago and um, in in the last two months um, they've opened up about 10 new outlets. Um, same for fitness, gymnasiums and, and Pilates studios are obviously, along with hospitality, often the, the first to get locked down when there is a, an outbreak at the moment. But beyond that, they are experiencing strong growth. And I think once we get up 
you know, push those vaccination rates in Australia up, you know, within the community. Uh, they're another uh, sector we're seeing strong growth in. And I think more broadly, you know, Australian franchising has a really important role to play in the six, 12 months ahead of us in rebuilding the Australian economy because um, I'm talking to people who might have worked in the airline industry or, or tourism for 10, 20 years, have, have trained, have got qualifications in those sectors, are absolutely fantastic with, you know, systems and processes. But because of the new economy through COVID, we're not going to have the airline industry or the, the tourism industry that we had three years ago. And so they're now looking around them going, well, what will sustain me as a, a vocation and a career option for the next tw 10, 20 years of my working life? And so talking to uh, home services has had a, a massive influx of, of interest, you know, pet grooming, has, uh, has gone through the roof because everybody working from home has bought a dog. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was talking to a, a pet grooming business the other day um, and he said you, you can't even get uh, a rescue dog at the moment from an animal shelter um, or the price of, you know, cavoodles has gone through the, the roof. Um, <laughs> so they are in hot demand at the moment. Um, and then, you know, talking to other people in different sectors, uh, policing, emergency services, returned servicemen, um, who again are terrific with uh, with systems and processes, looking for something that provides them with flexible hours, uh, secure source of income. So they're also looking to, to franchising and especially I think, you know, things like home services, freight and logistics. So as an Australian franchise community, and I do like to call it a community because everybody is just so supportive of, of one another, we have got some real work cut out ahead of us to uh, to contribute, you know, getting Australia economically back on track in the, the months and, and couple of years ahead of us. Yeah, no, it's all very positive stuff. Really great to hear. And as you say, I think, um, especially once the the vaccination rollout occurs at a slightly uh, faster rate in Australia, it sounds like there's some really great times ahead. Um, if we if we look back over the last few years, just for a moment, Mary, you, of course, became CEO of the Franchise Council of Australia in 2018. And I'm sure for anyone immersed in the franchising scene, you know, although that's only three years ago by this point, a lot can happen in that time. The franchise industry moves at an incredibly fast pace. Uh, a lot of new brands and trends kind of emerging seemingly every month. Um, and I was wondering if there were any changes you'd seen over that three-year period, obviously, um, as well as the pandemic, um, or whether it's kind of been quite consistent over your, your tenure with the FCA. Yeah, I think as an industry sector, you know, franchising is remarkably resilient. Uh, there's a lot of investment, research, development, put into systems to, to make sure that they are hitting hitting their targets with their their consumer groups, um, that they're continuing to innovate on products and services that they don't, you know, stay still, stay stagnant with their offering. So I think a lot's changed commercially. Uh, within the industry, of course, we had the 2018 parliamentary inquiry into the Franchising Code of Conduct, which is, you know, black letter law, uh, industry code of conduct, that uh, all, you know, 1,300 or so franchising brands in Australia need to uh, abide by some important lessons that we've learned out of that as a sector, I think. 
um, you know, especially around things like due diligence, making sure that prospective franchisees get proper uh, legal and financial advice at, at the outset, understand that the brands they're investing in, understand that the products and services. Um, and so I think as an industry group, we've got a really important role to play uh, in that. We've, we've better engaged franchisees over the last couple of years. We've got franchisees on the FCA board. We've got a franchisee advisory committee, uh, improved our um, member standards frameworks, um, our, our resources, education information. So I think that's all been, you know, very important for us, as well as just providing you know, better day-to-day business support and information. So, um, for example, you know, the, the commercial partnerships that we've got with the, the FCA, um, you know, on, on energy, we've got Energy Australia as a, a partner um, to be able to provide, you know, simple, clear um, energy products and services to our members and, and partnerships in other areas as well. Uh, we've got an employment relations hotline that our, our members can phone up and, and seek advice on. That's always a, a really complicated area for, for small businesses to grapple with. So just making, uh, you know, the, the, um, the task of doing business on a day-to-day basis easier for our member businesses has been, I think, something that we've, we've come leaps and strides in in the, the last couple of years. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of your your membership would very much appreciate that, especially then when you come to a period like now where um, support is, you know, more important than ever. Uh, it's really great that there's been that um, that framework established. Uh, if we look at uh, the Australian franchise market in more general terms, you know, despite the ongoing lockdowns and all the things that we've spoken about up top, um, there's a lot of news stories at the moment of more and more really big international brands, primarily from the US, but also throughout Europe, uh, looking to expand throughout Australia whether that's through uh, master franchise agreements or other arrangements. Um, and I was wondering, Mary, what you think uh, attracts all these brands to Australia um, or whether there's any kind of, you know, specific differentiators in the Australian market that make it stand out among, for example, um, nearby Asian countries that they could expand to. Yeah, absolutely, Kieran. So Australia, you know, no matter what industry you're in, we're a net importer of capital. So we rely really heavily on foreign investment um, to uh, to invest in and, and support uh, a whole range of, of industry sectors. I think whether, you know, in the top 10 at least of the, the largest recipient of, of foreign direct investments in the world, uh, to, to give you a, an idea. Um, but a, a couple of things, you know, we've got a really stable and resilient economy. So even before coronavirus, if you looked at the uh, the GSC, um, global financial crisis, we were able to, to withstand that. We've got, I think, about the, the 13th largest economy um, in the world, uh, we're AAA, you know, rated economy by all three major credit agencies. Um, so I think that that is an attractive uh, offering when you're weighing up um, where where to invest in globally. We do have, um, you know, despite sometimes fierce agreements on on different government policies, we do have a, a very favourable political and business environment, We've got a, a stable political environment, you know, good governance, very transparent, strong regulatory framework. Uh, so I think, you know, that's that's important to, uh, to consider as well. Um, quality of life. Um, I come from a, a great region in Victoria called Gippsland, which is the size of Switzerland, and uh, it's just a, an idyllic uh, community and, and region. And there's so many parts of Australia that do have that um, fantastic quality of life with great schooling, community, uh, healthcare, 
um, all of the things that you'd look for um, when you want to uh, attract uh, a highly skilled um, workforce. Uh, I think location as well, you know, where we're very well situated um, in terms of our pro- proximity to, to high growth markets around the Asia-Pacific region, which of course comprise, you know, the majority of our, our export markets. We are a signatory to a number of international trading agreements and, and that number continues to increase. We've got around seven free trade agreements with, uh, with about nine or ten others in the pipeline, uh, we also benefit from from different time zone differences. Where uh, you know Australia bridges a, a lot of major world time zones, which I, I think you know is also very good. Uh, and, and talent, we've got one of the most educated, skilled workforces in the world. We've got an excellent uh, education system, university system. Um, about forty uh, percent of our workforce has received a, a tertiary education of some sort. So um, I think all of those things stand us in in very good stead when uh, big global brands, big global franchise brands, uh, um, are looking around for expansion opportunities and and see Australia. And I think if you can you can come to Australia uh, and invest here. Um, that also gives you a fantastic bridge and link to the rest of the Asia-Pacific region. And um, talking about a, a bridge and a link, it seems from an outsider's perspective that when a lot of these brands are making deals uh, in Australia, they're sometimes also pairing those with New Zealand as kind of a, a, a whole uh, Australasian agreement. Um, is that something you commonly see, that uh, the Australian franchise market is is closely tied with New Zealand or do you think that those two countries need to be approached as um, entirely distinct franchise markets? Look I think you know New Zealand is our our closest in in proximity partner in the the world Uh, we are very similar culturally um, and and economically but there are some some very distinct differences as well Uh, so New Zealand is an extremely franchised uh, economy Um, I think it's probably the most franchised economy per capita in, in the world. We work very closely with the New Zealand Franchise Association. Uh, we share quite a, a number of member businesses. Um, there are a few differences to, to take note of. Um, one, of course, is just the, the population um, difference, but also importantly for franchising, um, you know, Australia's got a, a black letter law uh, franchising code of conduct. Uh, New Zealand doesn't um, they put much more stock in just that the member standards that you would abide by by joining, you know, the New Zealand Industry Association. We've got uh, a number of, of different levels of government. So New Zealand have local government and a, a national government. We've got that third tier in the middle state and territory governments, um, and they often have, um, you know, whether it's industrial relations or, or other, you know, food laws, for example, uh, labelling, it's it's really important that you understand those those different laws and regulations also. So there are some some very uh, keen similarities, but there are important distinctions as well. And uh, and my final question for you, Mary, is just talking about um, brands coming into the Australian market. I think as we've covered, um, any kind of concept could theoretically uh, find success within the market, and the uh, consumer base is very receptive to um, every kind of brand. But are there any sort of particular um, traits or nuances or things that brands may not have considered that they need to be mindful of if they're coming into Australia for the first time in the coming months or years? So I think there are some 
some differences to to be aware of. Uh, we've got some terrific investment facilitation agencies, uh, Invest Victoria, for example, in the state of Victoria, federally as as well, um, that can facilitate some of those investment decisions and, and provide additional data and resources. As can the, the Franchise Council of Australia. We talk regularly to, you know, potential investors in in Australia. Um, I think there's some some really exciting stuff on the horizon, especially when I look at. Uh, some of the things, you know, in the United States uh, around augmented reality and, and further afield uh, to that, some of the, the innovation happening in retail uh, and the QSR space is, is really uh, fascinating. Um, I think in Australia, one of the, the chief complaints for the hospitality sector here uh, and, and food retail space more generally has been, you know, the high fees that uh, delivery platform drivers uh, charge to, uh, you know, like Uber Eats to, to bring your food from a restaurant to your door. Um, it can be a, about 35% of, of what you're paying for a meal. So I would look very closely at some some pretty rapidly developing technology and innovation in that area that is is pretty exciting. I think Google are investing, you know, in, in some great technology there, which, uh, you know, with the expansion and development of technology, of course, it doesn't just make things easier and more accessible for consumers. It over time brings the, the input price down as, as well, which is, um, I'm sorry, the price that consumers are paying for their products and services. So I will be looking very keenly at, at that area um, and I think it's going to be a great game changer for the, the broader franchise sector as well. Yeah, it's really great to hear. Well, thank you very much for um, joining us today, Mary. It's been really great speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me on, Kieran. I really appreciate it. It's been a great chat. Thank you. Despite the current uncertainty felt among Australian business owners right now in states being hit hard by both the pandemic and snap lockdowns, it seems that better days are on the horizon. Ongoing advocacy from the Franchise Council of Australia, including the five-point plan that Mary walked us through, showcases just how community-oriented the country's business community is. These are certainly tough times for business owners, but they don't need to navigate them alone. Beyond the pandemic, Australia's franchising market sounds as attractive as ever. High education rates and a strong familiarity with the franchise business model means that brands of any and all sectors could thrive in the country provided they commit to due diligence and secure the right kind of local partner to help them thrive. Thankfully, it doesn't sound like these partners would be particularly difficult to find, thanks to the constant education work that the FCA delivers nationwide. We'd be keen to hear your thoughts on this. Has your franchise brand expanded into the Australasian region? And what are some of the key benefits when doing so? Make sure to let us know. If you like the podcast, subscribe and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. To keep up to date with franchise news and have it put into context by the global franchise experts, subscribe to the magazine, hit us up at globalfranchisemagazine.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn today.